While we continue our thoughts in the uh, series on the tabernacle, the tabernacle was a tent that God commanded Moses to construct in the wilderness. If you remember, for 40 years, the children of Israel lived in the wilderness before they went to the land of Canaan. And they lived in tents for all those years. And God, in His condescension, uh, had a tent, His tent, constructed. Obviously, God cannot be contained in a tent, or even like Solomon said, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain the Lord who is omnipresent. But just in His mercy, He said, I'll dwell in the midst of you. And so you see in this diagram, uh, for those of you who are are uh, listening or are on Facebook Live, we have a little diagram of the uh, tabernacle and the different pieces of furniture you can find online or in a book that you may have in your library. But in this diagram, we have the, the tabernacle and the courtyard surrounded by the makeshift fence. And uh, you have the, the different tribes named and where their positions were around the tabernacle. You have the, the high priest in his uh, more glorious garment and the, and the regular priests in their more plain garments. And you have the pieces of furniture somewhat enlarged given to us there. And, and uh, what we find is that this tabernacle was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who would come in, the, in 2,000 years. and He is God manifest in the flesh and it sounds like science fiction but it's not fiction it's non-fiction that God became man and and we know God is a trinity the father the son and the spirit but the son became a man and now he's both God and man it's always been God but you know from from the christmas season that he was born of the virgin mary and and for now from now on he's both God and man and it just seems so beyond our comprehension but it's true and the Bible tells us in the Gospel of John that Jesus the Son of God became man and tabernacled among us tented among us and John's verse there points us back to the tabernacle that we have the right to see the tabernacle as a picture of Jesus Christ God dwelling in the midst of the people. When Jesus, when the Son became man, He walked in the midst of His people. He had twelve disciples and He was God manifest in the flesh and He was God dwelling among His people. Uh, he knew their thoughts. He never sinned and He earned a perfect righteousness to credit to our account and then died on the cross and had our sins debited to His account. And we can... We can get bogged down in the details and go too far with it, but also we can go we can we can really ignore any details and not really see Christ in the tabernacle. And there has to be a balance, and we need prayer because you can get bogged down in the details of all the all the uh, kinds of materials that were. Uh, uh, that the fence was made of, that the coverings of the tent were made of, that the that the the garments were made of, and the, 
and so on. You can really go too far, but then you can you can you can stop short of really seeing Christ. And we know that the pieces of furniture speak of Jesus. For instance, the fact that it had one door is is indicative of the fact that Jesus is the door. And he says, I am the door. By, any, by, by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. And uh, then we looked at the brazen altar where they offered the animals and the birds. And that's a picture of Mount Calvary. Jesus was offered on the cross as a sin offering. He died for our sins. And of course, human sacrifice was not allowed by the Lord in the Old Testament, and so the animal and bird sacrifices and food offerings, those things were pictures of Jesus. And, and uh, the shed blood, when you went to that brazen altar, it was the very first piece of furniture noticed when you went into the courtyard. And the, the way in which we can find the Lord as our Savior is through the cross. You've got to get to the cross first. No one can come to the Father but through Jesus and Jesus as an offering for our sins. And so obviously when you went into that courtyard, you smelled blood. You smelled burning flesh. You saw priests that were drenched in blood. And uh, it, was a, it was a mess. But when you look at Calvary, you see a Savior who's bloody, who is a mess. You can't, the Bible says you couldn't even tell that he was a human being. He'd been punched by the soldiers. He'd been, he had a crown of thorns thrust into his scalp. He was, he was brutalized. He was tortured. And here he was hanging on the cross. This brazen altar and all the offerings were picturing Jesus when he died on the cross for us. And that is the way in which we find God in we find fellowship with God again. We've lost fellowship with God because we've sinned. But because Jesus died, we, we can get back. God the Father is found way deep into the tabernacle. The holiest place of all is at the very back of the tent there in that courtyard. And you see how you, you get to God first through Jesus Christ. You go through the door. You go to the burnt sacrifice. No one gets to the Father except through the death of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can bring us to God. And then the, last week we looked at the bath, the laver that, that's beyond the brazen altar. It's called the laver or the bath. And that's where they washed their hands and their feet before they offered offerings, sacrifices, and before they went into the tent itself. And that's a picture of the fact that through the blood of Jesus... We are washed from our sins. He cleanses us from all iniquity. It's a guarantee that if we trust Christ as our dying and rising Savior, that our sins will be washed away. And so Jesus is also pictured by the brazen laver. And the laver was made of the mirrors of the women. It was bronze or brass. Um, and the whole thing was beaten. They had some skilled people there beaten into the shape of the round shape that you have here. It doesn't give us dimensions in the Old Testament, but it was, you know, decent size. And they beat it, uh, beat the, uh, the brass into the shape of whatever shape that labor was. 
but it was not made of wood overlaid with brass like the brazen altar. It was made only of brass and bronze. And the idea there is that and you can see your face in that brass. And Jesus, you know, when we meet Jesus, we see ourselves as we really are. And it's also a picture of the water of the Word. You look in the water, you see a reflection of your face. You see a reflection of yourself in the brass. And when we come to the Bible, when we come before the Lord, we can't hide what we really are. And the best thing for us to do is to confess that we're lost, we're sinners, we're unclean, and we need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb and in the water by the water of the Word. And so again, these things are not easy uh, matters, but the basic thoughts are there in the pictures, the, the, the furniture, the pictures of Christ. But now we go into the tent. You can't see the furniture because it's covered by all those paint, well, the red, the red, white, and the, the, the colors that are in this diagram. There are different colors as we read in Exodus. But when the priests went into the, the door, went through the door there, they, they saw what you see in the right-hand corner, the top right-hand corner. They saw a lamp on the left or the south side. They saw a table of bread on the, on the, uh, the right or the north side. They saw a golden altar where they burned incense. Uh, further on, we would call that the west side. And then there was that curtain that no one dared to enter into. Only once a year the high priest went there. That curtain was very thick, even thicker than a theater curtain. And beyond that was the Ark of the Covenant, the picture of the very presence of God. And uh, the tables, the two tables of stone were inside that box. And it had a lid. And once a year, the high priest sprinkled it with blood. And that's a picture of God manifesting the flesh. And that God is satisfied by what Christ has done. Uh, And so, no one ever was able to get into that the holiest place. But you remember, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but when Jesus died, the Bible says that the veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. They must have heard that for a very good distance. Can you imagine just say a theater curtain being ripped like a piece of paper all at once? How loud that would be. I mean, it's loud enough to rip a piece of paper if I did it uh, at this time. Maybe I would. Well, I guess, I guess it's not so much in this case, but you heard it anyway in this room. But uh, you get my point. If someone rips a, a curtain, it might be inches in, in thickness. And what that is, the Bible says that curtain was a picture of Jesus' body. And when his body died, the temple curtain was ripped from top to bottom so you could now see inside. In other words, God did that miraculously to say, now you can go as far as you want to fellowship with God because my son died for you. And that is you know, certainly a basic picture of Jesus again. Uh, even the very veil or curtain is a picture of Christ's body. But today we, we simply look at the lampstand. Now in our old English Bibles, the authorized version, we, we read candlestick, but we know they were lamps because uh, 
at the top of each of those branches and the top of the actual um, middle piece. What do you call that? A bi- the uh, um, the base, the, the top of the, the center piece, the center stick. Uh, there were bowls on the top, shaped like almonds, and they poured olive oil, pure olive oil, in each one of those, and they were to, to, to be lit 24/7. So they weren't candles. Candles were not discovered until later, but in the days of Jesus, they, in, in the days of, of Solomon, in the days of Moses, they were lamps. And so we understand that that they weren't wax or whatever. They were, they were uh, lamps at the top. Um, and that's what we're looking at this morning. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the lamp. And so that's a basic thought in that piece of furniture, in that symbol. Christ is the lamp. Now again, God is dwelling in the midst of His people and His condescending love is, indic- is indicated by the fact that He's right in the middle. And they were again living in tents in the wilderness, but God had a tent to say, look, He is a God that dwells in the heavens, but the fact that He would come down to earth symbolized by this tent in the midst of His people shows that He wants to fellowship with man. He isn't just some clockmaker that, that winds the clock of the universe and then just is, is an absent tea uh, maker. But God is in the midst of His people. God is the one that, that, that providentially directs our lives and feeds us every day and, and uh, gives us strength and health. And, and uh, he, come, he came down to save us from our sins. That's why He sent Jesus. That's... They will call His name Jesus for He will save His people from their sins. came right down to Bethlehem. Lived in Nazareth and then ministered in Jerusalem and Galilee for, for those last three years before He had to die for our sins. But this is a picture of Jesus being the light of the world. Now again, you can be bogged down in details, but... I want us to to consider some of the details of this lamp. The the passages are not long. I would like us to look at Exodus chapter 25 and verses 31 to 40. Exodus 25 verse 31 says, Thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, the knops would be buds, and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds. So at the top would be the almond bowls with a knop bud and a flower in one branch and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a bud and a flower so in the six branches that come out of the candlestick and in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like almonds with their knops or buds and their flowers and there shall be a, a knop under two branches of the same and a knop under two branches of the same and a knop under two branches of the same according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick 
Their naps and their branches shall be of the same. All it shall be of one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs and the uh, snuff dishes shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels. And look that thou make them after their pattern which was showed thee in the mountain. And a couple more details. You don't have to turn there. In chapter 40, verses 24 to 25, it was to be placed southward, the south side of the tabernacle. And so you see it up there in the right-hand corner. It was on the bottom or the south side of the holy place. And in chapter 27 and verse 20, it says they were to make, they were to make sure that the oil was pure olive oil, unadulterated. Whatever that means, uh, it was pure olive oil. So, how are we to unpack these thoughts, these pictures? Let me again say that we, are, we, we, we can be confident that this lamp was a picture of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord gives us enough details to, of, of truth that we find about Christ, for instance, in the, Old, in the New Testament. I mean, what, what amazes us, it was a pure gold. And did you, did you, set, did you see the, the size of the, or the, the weight of it? It was a talent. A talent was anywhere from 80 to 90 pounds. So that lance was 80 to 90 pounds of absolutely pure gold. A banker might say today it would be a half a million dollars if you had 80 or 90 pounds of gold. And maybe I'm, I'm shooting low, but in those, that's, that's what it would be worth today. And the Bible tells us there was a shaft with a bowl at the top, and then there were six branches, three on each side, with a bowl or shaped like an almond at the top. Every branch had buds, flowers, and almonds. Just keep that thought in mind. Every branch had the beginning and the end of the plant. There, the bud, the flower, and the almond. Pure olive oil, and it was at the south end. And obviously, we have the thought that it provided heat. It was burning. Those, those seven bowls were burning all the time. And so it provided heat as well as light in that tabernacle. Because when you went inside there, and closed the door behind you, it was pitch dark if there wasn't a light burning. Absolutely pitch dark. And so, once they lit, and it tells you in chapter 40, they lit the lamp, then from now on, whenever they went inside, they saw, you know, the, 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 there was light. They saw the, the uh, table of bread. They saw the altar of incense. They saw the, the um, curtain and the angels etched in there and they saw obviously the lamp and all the, the lamp stand and all the lamps burning. But this is a picture of the Lord Jesus and I don't want to get, get again get, get us confused or bogged down in the details but there are some basic truths that we should learn about our Savior and about truth that we can 
be saved by and we can live by and we can die by. That Jesus is the light of the world. I know that there are other illustrations of him being the light. The lamp is just one illustration. He's called the Son of Righteousness, S-U-N. And so the Son is also a picture of Christ. God made that, built that into creation. The Son is, is obviously what, what causes us to see things that we do see and see the good and the bad. And also the Son is that which keeps us warm. And uh, where, where, where would we be if the sun was further than it was? We'd be freezing cold. We couldn't exist. Or if it was closer than it is, we would have been we'd be burned up. But Jesus is, is the light of the world and he's also the lamp. So we have different metaphors because you have mixed metaphors because, again, God has variety and you cannot, uh, you cannot condense the truth of God in one picture. Many pictures show us the glory and the comprehensiveness of God. So, I'd like us to consider uh, certainly a minimum amount of details, speaking of Christ being the light of the world. And if we follow Him, we'll not walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. The lamp is God's way of illuminating us, illuminating sinners and saved sinners, to see the Lord. And isn't it interesting, another light that, that was brought into play was the star that the wise men, the magi saw. And that's a source of light. So there's all pictures of Christ being the light. He's actually called the star of Jacob in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. But you have the star that led the wise men from India all the way over to uh, Jerusalem and over to Bethlehem. But it's all a picture. Isn't it amazing? We, we give Christmas presents that, you know, we might give a star that's in a box. But God gave His Son a real star in the sky. I mean, God obviously has bigger presents that He could give to His Son. But um, some basic thoughts. That, that in Jesus is light. And there's no darkness in Him at all. He's the light. He's absolutely sinless. But the fact, the fact that it was pure gold, gold speaks of deity. Gold speaks of glory. Christ is not a mere man. Before He was man, forever He's been God. He's been eternal. He's had no beginning. He has no end. Someone said, well, who created God? No one did. He's the uncreated Creator. If He was created, then He wouldn't be God. God isn't created. He's the one that creates. And Jesus is is deity. He's the Son of God. He showed that. He understood people's thoughts. He was able to cause a man born blind to see. He could walk on the water. What would you expect of a man who was God to do if he was on the earth? And the answer would be we'd see some miracles because he is a miracle. The fact that he's God and he's man. He's the Son of God. In, in Revelation 1, the Bible says he had a sash of gold. It just pictures his deity. John saw a vision of Christ. His eyes were as a flame of fire and his hair was white like wool and like snow. And his, uh, his, his countenance was as the sun shining in its strength. You have the light there as well. And his sash was of gold. He was God. He was deity. And the fact that there were buds and flowers and almonds on each of these branches 
speaks of the fact that Christ produces growth and fruit in people's lives. His, his work is successful. He doesn't just have buds. If you just have a bud and you don't have a flower, you don't have fruit, it's, it, it's not complete. It's not healthy. But the Lord is saying that, that what His work was, was accomplishing was the salvation and the growth and the eternal security of His people. His people are not just buds. They're, they, they produce flowers. They produce fruit in their lives. And the Bible's teaching is if we're not producing fruit, then we're not healthy. We're not alive, as it were. A plant that doesn't produce fruit is unhealthy or does not produce a flower or even a bud. It's dead. And the Lord Jesus came into the world to cause dead people to live, spiritually speaking. As the Bible says, I give unto you eternal life. And you'll never perish. And I'm not exactly sure of the south position of the lamp, but south faces north. And maybe I'm stretching things a little bit, but, but the Lord came to do His Father's will. And north is the, is, is, north, north is, the, is the direction of heaven. And the Lord Jesus always had His eye on doing the Father's will and, and doing... And He came from heaven to, to fulfill God's plan to save souls. And as the prophet, He came to reveal God's will for us and how we can be saved. But that's a thought that certainly can, can be uh, debated. But, but three simple thoughts about the light. First of all, when they, they lit those lamps, the darkness was exposed and then dispelled. So the first thought about is darkness. There was darkness and the darkness then was dispelled. And when Jesus came into the world, the Bible says that they that sat in darkness have seen a great light. And that's the first thought of this lamp. The second thought is now that the, the darkness was dispelled, now they could see in that holy place. They could see the, the bread. They could see the altar. They could see the, the veil. They could see the lamp. So, the second thought is not, not just that Jesus dispels the darkness, but now He reveals the truth. Now He lets us see the Gospel. lets us see the way of salvation. And the third thought is that now that they had seen all the furniture they could see inside, they were now ministering 24-7 in that holy place. Always to keep the, the, the oil uh, in those lamps and the, and the lamps burning and giving fresh bread on the table of, of bread. And uh, the priests were always moving. It's interesting how the priests had bells on the bottom of their garments as well as the fruit of pomegranates. And uh, speaking of the fact that as they served the Lord, representing you and me, they were fruitful and they were announcing good news. The bells. You know, there's a, there's a saying that they, they had bells because they had to, and this isn't found anywhere in the Bible, but they had bells on the bottom of their garments because you could hear them ministering. If they weren't ministering anymore, if, they, if you didn't hear the bells anymore, they must be dead. And so people thought that they tied a, a, a rope around their ankles, and so as they ministered, you know, people could at least see the rope and pull the priest 
out and not have to go in the holy place. I think that's, I think that's just the imagination of people. The priests were always ministers. There was no chair. There was, they were always standing, always moving when they went in there. And it's a picture of, of, of Christ when He came. He was fruitful, the pomegranates, and He was bringing good news. The bells were ringing. But it's a picture of you and me now that Christ has gone to heaven. What is our life to be like as a spiritual priest? We are to be fruitful, living for the Lord, having the fruit of the Spirit. And we are to bring the good news to people that there's a way in which we can be forgiven of our sins and have the hope of eternal life. So the bells should be sounding. These are all pictures of, of truth. And then this third thought is that the light allowed the priests, it guided them as they ministered. So the light dispels the darkness, it reveals the truth, and it guides us in our lives. Thy word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I'm sorry, I, 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 that's, that's as far as I can get. My, my, my brain can't function any further than that. But these are simple truths that should thrill our hearts that Jesus came to dispel our darkness, to reveal the truth to us, and then to guide us in our lives all the way to heaven, all the way into eternity. And I hope if we just take those simple thoughts with us and praise God that Jesus brought us into the light and saved our souls if we're trusting in Him. Are you trusting Jesus as the light of the world? As your light? as your son of righteousness, as your star, are you trusting in Him to forgive your sins and to reveal the truth to you, teach you, and to lead you in paths of righteousness and to lead you beside the still waters? It's not complicated, but we need to trust in Him and not our own works. And so, this light, first of all, Exposes, obviously, and dispels the darkness. John chapter 1 says, The light shineth in darkness. Isaiah 9, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Upon them hath the light shined. So darkness is exposed. Darkness is a picture of sin throughout the Bible. Remember Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that walketh, he that, tr- he that believeth in me, Help me. I'm the light of the world. Um, it's right at the top of our... He that believeth in me shall not walk in darkness. So darkness is a picture of sin. We won't walk in sin any longer. And Jesus said to His brothers before they believed on Him, the world cannot hate you because you're of the world, but it hates me because I testify of its evil work. And remember Isaiah 9, the famous Christmas statement, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. In other words, unto us, it's to our benefit that God sent His Son to deliver us from darkness. We've broken God's laws. Remember the shattered uh, stone tablets that Moses cast down. We've broken, we have broken our communion with God and we're living in misery and we have to face death and eternal prison if we don't know the Lord. But Jesus came to expel the darkness and to give us light and salvation. John 1 says the darkness couldn't overcome the light. Isn't it interesting when you're in an absolutely pitch black 
pitch dark room, what happens to the darkness when you turn the switch on? It scatters. The darkness doesn't say, oh no, you are not going to invade my, my privacy. The darkness is gone. And when Jesus came, He exposed the darkness and people were ridiculing Him for exposing their unbelief and their pride. But that's He came to save, not to condemn. But He brought light wherever He went. He revealed the darkness and expelled it when He saved people. And isn't it a wonderful thing when the Lord comes? It's an amazing thing when, you, when, he, when He visits you and you realize how much I have offended Him and I've broken His laws. I can remember when the Lord began to speak to my heart in His Word. I remember my particular, isn't it interesting? You're particularly my persecution, my, my, my disobedience to my mother. Oh, I, I was so bad and, and I wanted just to make amends and to have her happy, but I couldn't. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't change myself. When I was converted, I remember saying to the man as he was, reveal, as he was pointing me to Christ, I want to talk to my mother. I just want to see my mother happy. She's, she's not been happy because I've been, a bad, I've been a bad son. And you know what a wonderful thing it was one day when my mother said, Phil, I've trusted the Lord. And she began to grow her hair again. You know the story of my mother losing her hair and telling me when I asked why she had all these wigs, she said, it's because of you. I've worried about you all my life. You know what a dart that was to my heart? You know what a wonderful thing it was when the Lord converted me and I told my mom and she came to the Lord? Those, those styrofoam heads were gone and the wigs were put away. And my mother began to grow her hair again. I remember just being thrilled at the work that God can do in a heart. So the truth affects you bodily as well as, as spiritually. Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and like me. Like the tabernacle lightened up everything, the darkness is gone. Jesus came to take care of the darkness in you and me, our dark hearts, our dark minds, our dark souls. If you trust Him, He'll dispel the darkness. He'll forgive your sins because He died for them. And we know He was successful because He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead on the first day of the week. That tells us He was successful. Remember what He said on the cross. He didn't say, it's partially finished or I have failed. He said, it is finished. I have completed the work of saving sinners. I have died for your lies and for your unbelief and for your pride. That's why He was punched in the mouth and He, was, he, was, he, was, he had the crown of thorns upon His head for all of our, our evil thoughts and all of our lies, they punched Him and they brutalized Him. Almost every part of His body was brutalized. Was that not a picture of, of our lies from our lips and our, and our evil thoughts and our theft with our hands and our, our feet going in wicked directions? This is a Savior that died in our place. But the lamp, thankfully, secondly, is a lamp that now reveals the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the, the prophet that reveals to us God's will. And so He saves us, but he, we're, we start as newborn babes. We need to be now taught. We need to grow. And He's the light that reveals the Gospel. 
of truth. Our sins hid, our, hid God's face from us. But now we've seen a great light. Our sins were debited to Christ at Mount Calvary. They're forgiven. He died for them. He's credited us with His righteousness, His perfect life. He's granted us holiness. It's called being born again, simply. It's, it's, there's many illustrations of a believer who was lost and is found. It's a sheep lost and a sheep found. It's a person who's unclean, a leper that's unclean, now is clean. It's someone who is dead and now is alive like the prodigal son. There are many illustrations of a believer and they're all wonderful, aren't they? What can you and I say to a soul when we're talking to them? We were beggars and now we're helping other people who are beggars find bread. That's a simple way of putting it when we talk to someone. Look, I was lost, but now I'm found. I'm trying to point you to be found too. I was, I was unclean and now I'm clean. I was dead and now I'm alive. Jesus came into the world preaching, repent and believe the Gospel. You can be saved. The entrance of your Word gives light and He now reveals to us the truth. And as little babes, we begin to grow into, into toddlers and into young people and into adults spiritually because the light continues to shine. God's Word is a lamp to our, our feet. God's Word is, is, is that which points us to what we need in, our, in the nourishment of our souls. And thirdly, the guidance. So we have He deals with the guilt. Darkness is exposed. He gives us the gospel, the truth revealed. And thirdly, He gives us guidance. Direction given. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to to thy path. He says, I am the light. He's the light of light. He that follows me will not walk in darkness. So the Lord continues to put light in our path. And I can remember, I'm not not a camper, but I remember camping one year and and it was pitch black that night. It must have been a cloudy night. And I had a light, but I couldn't see because I had it here. And maybe it's because of my eyesight. But you know, when I put it here, I couldn't see very far, but I could see close enough and I'm not running into things. I just had it at my feet. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He guides us. Like Psalm 23 says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. We can say, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And remember Revelation chapter 1. He was standing in the midst, interestingly, of seven of these lambs. It's all pictured the seven churches representing the churches. He's in the middle. He's the one that lights our lamps so that we're lights in the world. And He said, You are the light of the world. He that, he that, well, what's the saying in Matthew? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The oil is a picture, and I forgot to say this, of the Holy Spirit. Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit when He ministered. And you and I need the, the oil of the Spirit. We can't be in the flesh, so to speak. We've got to be led by the Lord. And remember, that lamp gave light and it gave heat. And that's a picture. We not only need light, we need truth. We need zeal. John the Baptist was described as a man that was a burning and a shining light. He was a shining light in that he pointed people to the truth. He was a burning light because he had a heart of what he with what he had a heart for what he was doing. 
You know, it's so easy for us to go through the motions, to kind of shine, but not to have any zeal. That you can just, you can, I can preach a sermon without a heart. We can worship without a heart, can't we? We can, we can at least give the semblance. We need both. We need to have the light of the truth, but we need to have the oil for heat. That God would give us a heart to love Him and to serve Him. People can see the difference if they see just a tin man as a Christian versus a person that has a heart for the Lord and a heart for people. We have a Savior that was light and was heat. He loved us so much that He gave Himself for us. And He revealed the truth to the cost of His own life. He told people the truth even if it offended them because He knew that was the way in which their sins could be Removed, and their heart could be changed and they could be given eternal life. Let us think much upon Christ as our lamp. What a privilege we have. What a Savior. He's the Savior of the world. Amen. Lord Jesus, please help us to not be ashamed of You. How could we be ashamed of the Lord of glory, the Savior of the world? Thank You for being our lamp, our light. Lord, don't let us dwell in darkness. Forgive our sins. So often we we turn off the light, as it were, and we, we dwell in darkness temporarily. Oh Lord, please dispel our darkness. Forgive us of our sins, especially those sins that dog us. We know them, Lord. We plead Your blood and Your righteousness. We plead truth of the brazen altar and the laver. Shed Your blood for us so that we would be cleansed. You could reveal truth to us and guide us all the way through life and death and eternity. Lord, we praise You for being the light of the world, the star of Jacob. It's none like unto You. You are our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? You're the strength of our lives. To whom shall we be afraid? We praise Thee. Amen.